Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Somali-American warder Mohammed Abdullahi has won a hell of a personal story, and she chronicles it in her new memoir, Warda, My Journey from the Horn of Africa to a College Education. Warder was born in Saudi Arabia to undocumented ethnic Somali parents living far from their ancestral homeland. When she was just an infant, her mother was killed in a horrific accident, and Warder wound up living apart from her father until she was 11. Growing up was no walk in the park for my guest today. She takes us on her journey, carefully crossing borders and evading immigration officials across the African continent as she travels with her family to begin a new life in the United States. It also exposes the inequities and injustices embedded in a global system that determines who's allowed to move freely and live wherever they choose. And it's also the story of a father's determination to make sure his eldest daughter gets the opportunities he never had, as well as a young woman's grit, determination, and endless refusal to let go of a dream. Fast forward to today, Warder and her daughter currently live in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. She's a graduate of St. Catherine University and is working toward getting her doctorate in medicine. So let's meet and get to know Warder. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Sandy. It sounds to me like your life is just one fascinating journey. Talk about being born in Saudi Arabia and what this was like. What family members were you with and all this moving around? So when I was born, there was a lot of uh, deportation and my my father was undocumented. So while my mom was pregnant, my dad got deported multiple times and when I was just born, he told my mom, this can continue. Either way, we're going to be separated. How about you just go back to our home country? I will send you a monthly bill. And once I save enough money, I will come and join you guys. So that's what my mother did. And then one of my uncle, Omar, the one who saved me from uh, when the ship um, sank, he and my mother were living together. He was, you know, supporting her. I was. And this is in what country? This is in Ethiopia. In Ethiopia. All right. And then um, I was very sick. And my mother from Saudi Arabia, she left in a rush because this was not planned, us going back home. And then what happened was I got very sick. So my mother left all my documentation in Saudi Arabia. And in Ethiopia, no hospital will accept me to care for me. They would ask for an ID. They would ask for paperwork, for my birth certificate. None of the hospitals there accepted me and... um, care for me. So my mother was very worried and she decided to come back to Saudi Arabia with my father not knowing. She said that if I have told your father, um, he wouldn't let me come back to Saudi Arabia because it was a struggle, you know, all the financial, he didn't have enough money. Uh, He used to be a car wash. So you can imagine he was not earning enough money. And he couldn't, you know, get a staple job because he was undocumented. And from that, my mom decided to leave Ethiopia with my uncle Omar to help him throughout the journey as I was sick. And 
when we were halfway to Saudi Arabia and the boat was carrying so many people and yeah, the boat sank. And so that's what happened and how my mother died. That's how she died. Oh my God. What year was this, Warda? It was uh, 1996. Okay. All right. So the boat sinks. And how come you didn't drown? Uh, it's it's um, a miracle story that my uncle tells me. He said most of the people sink when the boat sink. And I was the only one. I, my mom grabbed me um, a little blanket around me because I was sick. So the little blanket I had was just floating on top of the water. He knew how to swim. So once he, you know, swimmed out, he looked around and was like, oh, my God, where is my, uh, like, he looked for us. And then he saw me just floating on top of the water with my blanket. Mm. So he Mm. swam really fast and got me, like, my chest was full of water. And once he saw that I was alive, he, there was another guy that my uncle knew. But it was not a relative. They just, you know, knew each other. And then he just gave me to that guy and said, please hold hold on for me to her. I will look for her mom. And then by the time he found my mom, it was too late. And also she um, was pregnant. Ay, Mm-hmm. As soon as I was born, she got pregnant before we went to Ethiopia. So, yeah, she... in. Um, Digested a lot of water, and when he found her, it was too late. So your uncle saves you, and then what happened? Where did you go? So from that moment, um, when when um, like we also didn't have enough money through the journey, so my one of the people once the news came out. Uh, my dad, who was in Saudi Arabia at the moment, got a call, and he was told that my mother has died, and your daughter has no any clothes, not even money, no any um, type of milk to feed her. And uh, he went in coma for three days. He didn't know what to do. Um, one of my uncle that was in Saudi Arabia with him took his... Um, keys, everything, and he was in coma. So my uncle, who was living with my father in Saudi Arabia, sent some money to uh, my uncle, and he told my uncle to take me back to Ethiopia so I can be with my grandparents because my father is no state to, you know, mentally take care of me. Uh Uh-huh. So my uncle Omar and I went back to Ethiopia. Um, my grandfather uh, was a farm man, so he was far from the city, and there was no, you know, transportation. So he had to walk by foot. So he came to um, Ethiopia. How how far is that? Oh my God! Honestly, he walked for seven days just to get to me. He walked, tell me again, from where? He was on the farm in Ethiopia. 
So my grandfather, who is the farmer, walked for seven days just to get to me because I I had some relatives in the city. But um, when my grandfather heard the news, he was very devastated and he just wanted to, you know, take care of his grandchild. So he walked for seven days, got to me. We stayed in the town for about three days. Uh, you know, he bought me clothes, milk, everything. And then he had to walk, carrying me back to the farm, also mm-hmm. carrying all the supplies, the milk, my clothes, everything. So mm-hmm. by the time he got to the farm, everybody, I I had um, my aunt, my uncle, and my grandmother at the time, they were all devastated. They were sad, but, you know, they all come me with open arms, and mm-hmm. my grandfather and my grandmother um, and my two uncle and my aunt, they took care of me until I was 11. You did not see your dad for all those years? No, I have not seen him. In fact, um, I thought my (laughs) father was uh, my grandfather. I always called my grandfather dad until I was 10. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then what happens? I'm 11. Uh, I'm actually 10. And then my father has a dream. Uh, my father, so little backstory, my father was very devastated in Saudi Arabia. So he leaves Saudi Arabia and comes to Ethiopia. There was a lot of war going on at the time. And my grandfather comes down to the town, meets my dad and tells him if any of this uh during this war, if anybody sees you that you came from overseas, they will shoot you right there. And I do not want your blood shed in front of me. I want you to go back anywhere in the world but Ethiopia at the time. So my father was very devastated. He was sad. He wanted The reason he came to Ethiopia was to see me. But then my grandfather said, there's no way you're going to you know, walk to the farm and not get caught and be killed. So my father was very sad, but, you know, he took his dad's advice and he went to South Africa. He lived in South Africa. He became a businessman. He was working hard, sending money every month uh, to my grandparents and to support me. He also got married there um, in South Africa. He had kids and 2008, at the end of 2008, um, he had a dream. He had a dream, you know, back in Somalia, Ethiopia, East Africa, West Africa, girls get married at a young age. And um, I remember one of my my father's uh, sister's daughter was living with us, with my grandparents, and she was 14 she got married and he heard the news. After that day, he keep having nightmares and um, just in vision that, you know, my daughter went through so much at a young age and I want her to have a better life from now on. So he sent one of my uh, grandfather's brother to the farm and to bring me to the town because my grandfather refused. He said, you know, I raise her and I want her to be with me and, you know, not don't take her overseas because, you know, I see her as my daughter, not, you know, just my granddaughter. And he, my grandfather loved me so much. He wouldn't, you know, 
let me just go and live with my father. And then my father said, you know, I'll do anything it takes to, you know, get my daughter so that she can get education. He kept having nightmares over and over and over. So at the end, you know, he let my grandfather understand that, you know, he needs his daughter and he, you know, he wants her to be educated. So my grandfather's brother brings me to the main city in Ethiopia. Addis Ababa? Uh, no, actually, Chikchiga is the main one that the Somali ethnicity lives in. Okay. He brings me to Chikchiga, and what happens is that, um, you know, he I didn't have any paperwork such as birth certificate or even uh, any ID. So I stayed there for about five, eight months in Chikchiga to get paperwork, and after that, my father found some relatives that were coming to Kenya. So it was two boys um, and their father. So the father took us from Chikchiga to the border of Kenya. And then uh, my dad sent a guy that he paid to bring us to uh, Kenya. So I live in Kenya about seven months with a relative. Um, and from there, he also, you know, arranged paperwork to get into South Africa. And then once he, you know, got those ready, I traveled with one lady who was, you know, traveling alone. And she said, you know, she took me as her daughter. And while we were traveling, she took care of me. And whenever people ask, she's like, she's my daughter. We travel together. Once she, uh, once we arrive in South Africa, then we went apart. But, you know, she helped me through the way. And that's how I got to South Africa and meeting my dad and my young siblings as well in South Africa. What a hell of a journey. And you're only freaking 11 years old? Yeah. I mean, you lived a lifetime. Okay, so you're all together in South Africa. And does life turn around for you then? I would say yes. Um, you know, my I was just calling my grandfather my father, and I didn't know. But uh, when I was 10, one of my uncle came back from South Africa, friend of my dad. And he brought pictures of my sibling, my dad, and my stepmom. So... Uh, at that moment, I start questioning, like, who is this man I never heard of? And, you know, my gra- grandfather tells me he's my son and you are his daughter, but I raised you and I took you as my daughter. I basically called you my daughter. That's why you call me dad. So it was confusing, but... You sure, know, he- you had never met your biological father. And then to find out that this man over here is, is your father. Oh, my God, what shit you had to process here. Jesus. Yes. Um, but it was it was hard. Um, well, there's an understatement, Warda. <laughs> it was it was very hard to process all these emotional situations. Um, but, you know, while I was traveling, I was just like, you know, I regret leaving the farm because that's the only place I knew. And you felt safe. Yes, that's where I felt safe. Uh, that's all where I had friends, family. I didn't know 
any outside of the wall than the farm. So I was just sad. I was like, oh, my God, why did I, why didn't I just refuse? Why did I go, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But once I got to South Africa, I met my dad. It was, it was very emotional. He kept crying. He couldn't, you know, stop his tears. He was, you know, happy and sad for all the years that he lost and um, didn't see me. Um, because of the war and, you know, financial situations. Um, and he had no uh, passport, you know, to travel as well. So mm-hmm. he, there was just so many circumstances that stopped him to see me, but he was very emotional and so happy to see that, you know, I have grown so much. And yeah, so from there, he right away, uh, schools was in holiday for South Africa when I arrived there. And um, while they were in a holiday, he, you know, started making calls and, you know, seeing schools if they would accept me because the only language I spoke was Somali. And even so, I didn't know how to write or read. I only could speak. I was just uh, on the farm, you know, taking care of yeah. goats, sheep. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I honestly, I miss the farm. <laughs> I'm planning <laughs> to, I am planning to go see my grandfather, even though now he lives in the in Chichia. And moved from the farm. He, you know, he's just getting old. But you know, I would still love to go see the farm and um, experience the moments I used to have back in the days. But um, to bring back what we was just saying, uh, while they were in the holiday, my dad keep you know finding schools, and every school he goes to would say, "Okay, well, um, where's the report card?" And when he says she have never attended school. They would say, how can we accept her? How can we accept her to our school? Because she has no report card. She has no knowledge or understands whatsoever any type of English. How would we accept her? So we went from school to school, from district to another district. Um, No one would accept me. And it was so devastating for my dad because, you know, the reason he brought me to South Africa was to get an education. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, uh, my sibling was going to an Islamic school in Port Elizabeth. That's where my dad lived, uh, part of South Africa. And he went to the principal and he, you know, explained my situation to him. And he's like, you know, this is my daughter. I just brought her to South Africa a month ago and she has uh, no any type of education Right, so you didn't know how to read or write. No, I I remember the first day once they accepted me, I went to the school, and what happened was because of my age, they took me to sixth grade. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and the teacher there, she asked me, you know, what's your name? And I'm just looking at her like, I don't know what she's saying. I see she's moving our mouths, but I, I didn't know what she was saying. So... Luckily, there was a Somali girls and Somali students in the class. So she calls one of them and tells her, hey, like, you know, can you tell her, ask her what's her name? And she's like, hey, you know, she's asking you what your name is. So I tell her my name. And then she's like, okay, your last name. And then I tell her. And then the teacher gives me a paper and tells me, you know, write write down your name and your last name. And then I'm like, 
I don't know where to begin. I tell the girl, I, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so I spent the first day in the sixth grade. I didn't understand a word what the teachers were saying. Yeah. yeah. And it was it was so frustrating. Can you imagine a farm girl being in a classroom that have no idea what these people are saying? And oh, um, she would ask me questions. She's like, hey, do you did you understand this? And I'm like... I have no clue what you are saying. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so you know, the teacher goes back to the principal and my dad comes to the school once they call him. And they were like, hey, like, we understand that she is very behind. But how about if we, you know, take her back a couple of grades? So my dad's like, I do not know. It doesn't matter what grade you guys put into her. Uh, I know she's capable of, you know, succeeding. So... The principal and the teachers talked, and um, at the end, they decided I should go back to grade two, uh, the second grade. Mm-hmm. And even so, the second grade, the kids were so younger than me. The teacher had to bring bigger table and bigger chair for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's in the book, like, you know, I had a drawing of a table and a chair at the back of the class. And... It was even grade two. I didn't understand anything, you know. I, I felt I felt um, very sad and, you know, how mm-hmm. I'm... And very alone, I bet. Yes, absolutely. I can, you know, have a conversation with these kids. They are so young, like, and I'm 11 years old. I'm so tall. Uh, even the parents would mistaken me with the teacher assistant. They were like, hey, are you the teacher assistant? Like whenever the teacher is out of the class talking to her parents, one of the parents comes in and like, hey, are you the teacher assistant? I'm like, no. So what are you doing here? I'm a student. You're in grade two? And they would be shocked. I remember the Somali woman um, often is very chachi and they don't look at the situation. I remember one one woman, she asked me why I'm here. And I told her, I this is my class. And she tells me, oh, my God, you are so old. It, wouldn't it be just better for you to go help your mom and um, get married? And that actually crushed my heart. Um, it was pretty sad. And she's like, you know, if if you were married, you can give birth to these kids. And I I just started crying because I didn't know what to say, uh, let alone I was afraid if I told my parents what she said to me, they would, you know, listen to her side of the story and take me out of school. So I didn't even tell my parents. It was pretty sad. You know, I just went to the bathroom and cried because I didn't want the kids and the teachers to see what was going on. Um, so it was pretty sad. And I was getting those type of comments very often, like, repeatedly, like, twice a month, you know? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It, looking back right now, I'm like, I am so glad that I have not gave up my education because what some women said. Right, right. Your life starts to improve. Mm-hmm. And you're staying with your dad in South Africa. And then what's the next big event in your life. Absolutely. So um, once I was enrolled in grade two, my father finds someone to tutor me uh, every single day 
And I was also attending an Islamic school from three to six, sometimes seven. Uh, so as soon as I come home from the Islamic school, my dad, you know, brought this uh, Zim, uh, yeah, Zimbabwean lady who was, uh, she had an associate degree but couldn't find a job. He, you know, he gave her one room in our house. You know, he told her, you know, you live here, you eat here in our house. Just make sure you teach her um, how to write and read and, you know, help her out. And she did that. She was really amazing. Her name was Sarah. We became so close, and I thank her up till today um, because, you know, the teachers can only be focusing on me. They have so many students. But, you know, she helped me so much. So my father took me to a bookstore and he bought a bunch of books with pictures so that, you know, I understand when she's talking to me. I would like at least know, oh, this is a lion, you know, I would understand. So he bought a bunch of books and spent so much money on them. I had my own little library in my house at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. So she and the weekends, every second that I get, she was teaching me and I was so determined and dedicated to learn and my education improved from there and the teachers in the my teachers were also helpful so from there um they used to have like the yearly end when they you know give out certificates and stuff like that the first year I didn't get anything um but my uh, uh, grade three grade four, grade five, and grade six, I have received so many certificates. For a job well done, you mean? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Were you raised Islamic? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they Mm -hmm. had, like, different nine subjects and uh, that were all given in English. They also gave um, maybe an hour-long courses that were also Islamic. Uh, Islamic related, but everything, even though they were Islamic school, they, you know, they were just given the curriculum that, you know, any public schools gives. So your life is starting to improve socially, educationally, and you're going through the system, you're becoming a teenager. What was the next big step for you? The next big step was uh, my dad, he signed up to the UN and, you know, we were, we were, um, we have nine kids, including me and my, it was just really hard for my dad to support us. Uh, He had to pay for the school, for the Islamic courses um, that I was going in the evening, Everything, um, food, rent, it was just, you know, really exhausting for him, even though he was doing his best. And right. um, life in South Africa was not actually safe. Um, there was so many shootings going around. Um, all the refugees, people who owns uh, a little stores, um, they were getting shot all of a sudden um, by and South African person and even my dad he also got shot in the leg while you know trying to protect his little store he owned and up till today he has um, a lot of pains in that leg and back in 2000 and 
10, um, three of my uncle died in that situation as well. And my dad was just couldn't stay there any longer. So we went to the UN. My dad goes to the UN and, you know, he tells them our situation. And then back in 2013, they decided to bring us to the U.S. And that's how we came to the U.S. We first arrived in Michigan, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Why there? Um, so when the U.N. asks us, like, you know, there is uh, which state do you want to, you know, go to? And um, if we have any relatives to stay with before uh-huh. we get like a housing or anything like that. And my dad, mm-hmm. he didn't know anybody. So he just said, honestly, it does not matter to me as long as I take my family to a safe place. So, yeah, it, it was not our decision to make because we didn't know anything about America. So that's where they took us to. So it's all nine of you wind up in Michigan. I I didn't ask this. How did you get along with your stepmother? Oh, uh, my stepmother is very lovely and a caring human being. She loved me just as her own. As her own, okay. She took uh, really good care of me and supported me throughout my uh, education. That's wonderful. So here you are in... (laughs) Michigan, where the weather can get to be pretty brutal, and you start to live the American dream? I would say yes, because uh, my education uh, was just getting better by the day. But also, uh, the culture-wise and the environment was very different from the farm, from kids. No, no kidding. What an alien experience that must have been. Holy shit. Yes. I remember the first time we seen snow. Um, I was like, oh, my God, it's so white, just like sugar. Let me taste if it tastes like sugar. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember all my siblings like, oh, yeah, let's taste. Let's see how if it tastes like sugar. Yeah, you're right. Let's see. And it just tastes like water. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> this just Well, water. it tastes like cold sugar, if nothing else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you're pursuing your education and you're, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but were you adjusting pretty well to life? in an, a very alien place for you? No, no, I wasn't. I So when we went there, the school uh, was on holiday, I believe. We came um, November. I don't know what type of holiday they had, but the school was closed then for them. I think they might be... That um, was probably Thanksgiving. Yes, maybe yeah. If it's no- November. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was actually emotionally stress and sad because in South Africa I had so many friends uh, I'm I'm very friendly so everybody loved me so I got used to you know living in South Africa and I actually like my life in South Africa because you know I started um, uh, learning Islamic schools I started my education journey I was living with my father Three of my uncles also left there. I just had so many family support and friends. And sure, it was safe. It was safe for me, and, yes. And familiar, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, it was just emotionally sad to leave what I have there, you know. 
And when once I got to Michigan, it was just, you know, reliving all the memories. I remember all my school. Yeah, te- wow. yeah wow. all the school teachers, actually, I still have it up till today. They all wrote me a letter. They, you know, took a book and everybody wrote a little message on that. And I keep rereading all those letters from my friends, from my teachers, from my Islamic school teachers. It, it was, I enjoy living in South Africa and in Michigan like we had no one to relate to um sure there is no um a Somali community that lives there or any you know East African West African people that I can relate to that you know I live with that I understand mm-hmm. and once I you know I didn't understand the accent even though like you know I learned a little bit of English in South Africa the accent was just completely different it was hard to understand so from there, it was, you know, the first month, it was just very hard for me, to, you know, to adjust. But, you know, I told myself that, you know, I was once on the farm and then, you know, life got better once I got to South Africa and started my education. People always talk about the American dream. Why don't you just, you know, try your best and, you know, continue your education? Why be sad, you know, once you have them in to go back and visit South Africa, your friends and your teachers, you will do that. Just, you know, study hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you finished high school and was college an option for you? Um, yes. So in South Africa, I only completed till sixth grade. And but mm-hmm. I brought all my report cards. I brought all my grades, my transcript, everything from each class. And my mm-hmm. father and I went to the school that I got enrolled. It's called Ottawa Hills High School in Great Haven, Michigan. And the counselor was just very nice. Um, she was very understanding. She saw my results. My dad tells her my situation. You know, I just recently started my education journey. And she was very understandable. So we went to a high school, even though I just completed sixth grade Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> in South Africa. And honestly, without me knowing, because, you know, I didn't understand her accent. My dad understood better than, you know, what I understood. He His English is good and he has traveled a lot throughout his life. So she actually put me in honor classes for ninth grade. And I didn't understand. Wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was really struggling. The first day I remember, I, you know, my dad, he brought me to the school because I had no idea, like, <laughs> which direction to go. Um, sure, mm-hmm. sure. We took the bus as we had no transportation. You know, we are new. We just trying to adjust and uh, get by. So we took the bus. He brings me to school and he tells me, hey, um, when you come in, don't take the bus from where we, you know, got off but you know the other side of the road I didn't I didn't understand any better so I took the bus that we you know that brought me from my house the bus actually circled around four times <laughs> four times and when everybody got off and it's about seven o'clock it's just me and the bus driver and he looks at me and said I have seen you getting on this bus about 2 45 why are you still on this bus and I said, I am new to the country. I'm just trying to figure out where I live. And mm. I tell him, you know, where where my house is because I knew the, you know, the street at least. 
the address. Yes. He tells me, just just stay here. Um, I will circle around one more time just for you. Uh, I understand your situation and I will show you where to get off. Just sit right here. Mm-hmm. My dad was waiting for me till 2.40 on that bus uh, stop. And it was snowing and he didn't know what to do. And my dad was, <laughs> he was so sad and scared that I might have gotten lost. And, you know, he had no one to, you know, talk to or ask for help. He didn't, we didn't have any community, any people to guide us. So once I got off the bus, he started crying and said, are you okay? (laughs) I was, it was so dark. It was so dark out. It was about eight. Yeah, it was eight o'clock. You could have been in the state of Mississippi, for God's sake. Absolutely. Yes. That's what he was scared of. He's like, what if you took the wrong bus? Um, And, you know, at least this one, this guy, and he thanked the man that, you know, the bus driver, he thanked him and said, I am so thankful for you and I appreciate all your help bringing her back. Yeah, it was it was sad. And I remember that day I was just sitting in the bus, the bus driver, you know, uh, parked his car at the bus uh, station to, you know, uh-huh, refresh uh-huh. and everything. And I was I remember just sitting there for about 20, 30 minutes in that bus while he comes back. I, <laughs> it was one of the scariest things that happened I to bet. me when I was new. So, Warda, you finish high school, and then is it fair to say that you knew you were going on to college? Yes, I did. Um, but the other thing was um, I had, like, you know, we were just new to the country, and I had no money saved. Um, my dad was new. He was... Mm, barely making minimum wages and supporting um, nine kids. Jeez, God. Yeah, $12.50. There's no way you can save for college tuition. You're damn straight. You're damn right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, throughout my high school in Michigan, I had so many support uh, from my teachers, and even I would say friends um, that were helping me out throughout my last two years of uh, high school. And I should mention this. I I finished my high school instead of four. I finished in three years. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I I wouldn't even say three. It was two and a, you know, half a semester, uh, a semester. I took ninth grade and 10 together. <laughs> I took 10th grade during the summer uh, once I finished ninth grade. And then once I came back, I did 11 and 12 together. I finished my 11th grade through online um, courses they had. And my counselor was really helpful. She helped me through and guided me. But uh, also I should mention that I had a wonderful mentor. I joined so many clubs and I was, you know, matched with uh, this great lady who, you know, guided me through high school and getting into college and finding financial aid and scholarships. With her support and all my teachers and my dedication to getting into um, a good university have helped me. It's such a fascinating dynamic that you start off in a nightmare. And this journey, which was like climbing Mount Everest, you did it, girl. 
Give me that time frame. You graduated in what year? 2016. 2016. And so now this same counselor is going to help you apply to college because you knew that that's what your next step was going to be. Um, before I even graduated, I have gotten uh, so many acceptance letters from so many universities. Um, so, you know, my dad couldn't afford um, the rent and everything, so he decided to apply for a Section 8 in Wisconsin. And, you know, I was in the middle of school, or my high school, uh, my last year, and my dad decided to move, but, you know, he didn't want me to start all over with a different, right. you know, all high school again, yeah. environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of my uncle from South Africa also lived in uh, Michigan, just right after he came to Michigan as well. So he's like, you know, how about you just stay with your uncle until you finish your high school. So that's what I did. I stayed with them until I finished high school. And my father and my whole family moved to Wisconsin. And once they got the Section 8, uh, my father decided that, you know, it's better to have a, a community that you can relate to. So they moved into Minnesota being very diverse. They moved to uh, Minnesota. So um, Does that have a large Islamic population? Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were starting to feel more and more at home and comfortable. You apply to college, and as I said in the introduction, you wind up at St. Catherine University, which is in what state? It's in uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. So now you've moved to Minnesota to go to school. And what was in your mind? I want to be a what? Uh, doctor. From a young, early age, while I was even in the farm, um, I wanted to become a doctor. Okay, so you set your sights on that and you graduate. Then what happens? Yes, I graduated with Bachelor of Science um, and English minor. And in 2018, I actually uh, got married to one of my close friends. And that he lives in South Africa. So uh, 2019, I traveled back to South Africa. It was wonderful. I enjoyed the time there because I went to, you know, I had the opportunity to go see uh, the school that have helped me and got me mm-hmm. to where I am and all my right. families over there and friends. Sure. So you're part of your history. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I got pregnant. While you were in South Africa. Yes. Just two weeks before my final exams, I gave birth to a beautiful daughter. And uh, once I graduated and got my degree, I decided to take a year off to just take care of my daughter and spend time with her. Um, even in 2020, I, you know, I finished uh, university. I, you know, gave birth to my daughter and I also completed my book. I want to go back a second. So you get married and you get pregnant and your husband stays in South Africa? Yes, yes. And that's where he is today? Yes. Mm-hmm. Does he have any desire to come to the States and live with you? Yes, I have, you know, applied for sponsorship for him. So I'm just, we just waiting on that, hoping he comes soon. So you get married, you have a baby, and then 
Are you working at all or is your focus going on to grad school? So uh, going back a little bit, 2021, February, I went back to South Africa again and I got pregnant (laughs) second time. So I had uh, a son back in uh, November 2021. And once I came back to the state, I started working for Minnesota Department of Health. Okay. While I'm working, I'm still taking some premier courses that I need to complete before I can apply to medical school. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm just gobsmacked by all the stuff that you do and that you just sort of rattle off. So where'd the book idea come from? You decide that you want to chronicle your journey and you, God knows you have a story to tell. Is that what the catalyst was? Uh, going back a little bit when I was in high school, I have, you know, since my father was not able to afford my college tuition, uh, my men, with the help of my mentor and uh, my counselors and, you know, all my teachers being so proud of, you know, my journey, you know, when, it's, when you're applying to different universities, they all have different questions um, to answer when you submit your application. There's a section where you, you know, they say, okay, tell us your story, you know, and stuff like that. And also I have applied to so many different scholarships, uh, one being the Gates Millennium, even though I didn't get get it, you know, I'm proud to say that, you know, I applied and I was um, on the second round. I, you know, I didn't get the final. You made it to the second round. So you're actually... Writing your life story. Yes. (laughs) It was not necessarily a conscious act. You have to give this information over. And then it becomes so obvious that this is your journey. Absolutely. So when I was writing for my, you know, the Gates Millennium has different nine essays. And like each essay says a different question, you know. So as I was writing, once I completed all the, you know, question essays, uh, I turn into my, you know, English teachers for ninth grade, 10, 11, and 12, you know, and my counselors and any teacher that I knew, even my history teacher, my math teacher, you know, I would ask them to, you know, edit it for me and help me out because, you know, I knew my writing is not perfect, but, you know, one thing that I am very proud to say is when I need help, I ask for. I ask help. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they read it and each one, not knowing the other, tells me, hey, what do you need to write your story? Your story needs to be heard. Told, sure. The world needs your story. So them saying that to me, you know, helped me encourage to write my story. I was working with the superintendents in Michigan, you know, uh, superintendents, the school superintendents. Mm-hmm. I was in so many different clubs and, you know, so involved in the school, even though I was taking two uh, ninth grade and 10th grade together and, you know, 11 and 12. I was I was being so involved in so many clubs and school activities. And um, I was chosen to uh, work with the superintendents and, be out in the community. So I was very close with the school principal and, you know, he read my story, uh, the essays that I asked him to, you know, edit for me. So once he read it, every single day I come to the school or we have a meeting uh, regarding the clubs that I was in, he would ask me, have you started writing your book? Have you started writing your journey? 
And every day I say no, he tells me, you should, you should start this afternoon. So they were all encouraging me, including my mentor. Um, she have helped me so much and encouraged me. And we used to meet every Tuesday um, for about an hour. And she would tell me, I have read so many books, but I have never seen a, uh, a story interesting as yours. So you need to write, you need to start writing. So from um, all the essays that I wrote for, you know, applying to scholarships and applying to universities, I collected all of them and I put all those essays into one binder. I make sure I printed everything that I wrote throughout my high school. And, you know, it just added up. Uh, once I moved to Minnesota during that summer, once I graduated that summer I had, I was like, you know what? Why don't you just start writing your story? And I shared it with my mentor and I was like, hey, you know, I am interested in writing my journey. I have no idea or any direction where to go or, you know, who to ask for help mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I have no any expertise writing a book but I am interested. So she's like, you know what? Start writing. Let me read over it. And I will, you know, find connections and network to help you through this journey of writing your story. So yes, that's what she did. She helped me. Uh, she connected me with a publisher, an editor, and she helped me throughout my writing process. And so for everyone listening, Warder's book is titled My Journey from the Horn of Africa to a College Education, a very powerful memoir. I listened to this conversation basically with my mouth wide open. All the ups, the downs, the joys, the pain, it's just extraordinary who you are. And I don't mean to deify you, but if I am, it makes perfect sense. And I really can't thank you enough for sharing your life with us. It's unbelievably fascinating. And I'm sure there's so much more <laughs> waiting for you. And to that end, you would need to come back and tell us the next kind of part of your life. We always would do a second conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much, Warda. You are an inspiration and just a lovely human being, and it would be great one day to be able to actually meet you face-to-face. -face. And I am so grateful that you shared your story with us. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell my story to the world. It's a story worth hearing. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. <laughs>